Hello and welcome in once again to the QB11 show. I'm your host, Doug Scott, along, of course, with QB11. How you doing, man? What's going on, Doug? It, you know, it's been a couple of weeks since we recorded. We had the great interview episode with Kenny Dillingham, and if you haven't checked that out, you definitely want to go back and listen to that. And then I think we took a little bit of a midsummer hiatus, but now fall camp is opening for Oregon, as well as all the other schools around the conference and across the country, and there's going to be a lot of football to start talking about, and I can't wait. Yeah, I mean, I think you should be honest with the listeners, though. You you kind of just didn't call in and went on vacation. <laughs> wow, you're just throwing me right under that bus right now. <laughs> hey, were we recording tonight? Nope, nope, he's out of cell service for five days, camping with his family, like that matters. All right, but... Anyways, I'm not bitter. But yeah, I think we have some good things to talk about. We had Oregon Media today, Pac-12 Media Days late last week, some Big Ten Media Day stuff as well. Um, finally breaking our drought on the recruiting trail with two commitments here in the last three days. And um, I think we have one or two listener questions to get to at the end of the pod too. So you want to start with Oregon Media since that's the, the most recent thing from today? Yeah, I think that's a good place to start. Was there anything that uh, really jumped out to you as you – as, as you listen to the interviews with Lanny and the players? Connection. Connection seemed to be the theme of the day. You know, you heard Lanning talk about it. Uh, you heard a number of players talk about it, kind of creating a connection, connections internally within the staff, within the teams, within the, you know, the entire, you know, complex and, and program. And uh, that seemed to be, you know, a message that was, that was carried forward by a lot of people that we heard from today. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, every time there's there's a new season that rolls around, whether it's an old staff or a new staff, particularly with a new staff, I think you, you kind of get a lot of this, you know, this talk, if you will, about, oh, you know, we're resetting the culture and the team's closer together and football's fun again. And all of those things have been said about a lot of players, you know, not just today. We certainly heard that a lot today, but also over the last, you know, six months or so. And I think the question I have is, you know, is that just, does that just talk or is there something, you know, something truly behind that that is creating a difference in the locker room and in the culture and in the team, you know, um, community and and camaraderie that is different than before? And and I don't know the answer to that. And maybe we'll we'll have to wait and find out. But I, I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, I mean, I love to make fun of the cliches like, oh, best shape of my life, really bought in, had a good good off season. Uh, we're having fun playing football again, like all that stuff. And and again, that's the cliches that kind of get slung around all countrywide this time of year is um, everyone's excitement is bubbling for the new season. I don't think that we really get to see if those things are true or if they manifest until the team is on the field. But I think it's a good thing to be hearing after watching a team kind of quit on a couple different occasions down the stretch last year that, that they're more cued into playing for the guy next to him than maybe they had been in recent years. And I, I know that this team has a ton of talent and I, and I know that um, coach Lanning has put a lot of emphasis early on in his tenure into building personal relationships, both between members of the team, between staff and the team, and just trying to bring everybody together. And um, the one thing I'll say, and it, with the tragedy of Spencer Webb's passing and, something that, that happened between our, our last two pods. Um, there, there's two ways that can go. It can be really destructive and uh, people people can struggle with the 
um, with the weight of, of that kind of loss, or the team can come together and kind of pick everybody up and it can galvanize the team and be man. It can be uh, exercised in a positive way uh, by playing, by playing for him and, and using, using that perspective that you really only get when you lose somebody that you care about um, that your opportunities to do anything in life are numbered and, and you really just have to capture whatever, whatever is in front of you. Yeah. I, I think that was well said. And, and we heard that from a number of the guys today. I know I heard you heard Bennett talking about it, you know, and he's wearing number four again, which he, you know, had worn prior to coming to Oregon. And, um, and he talked about that in relation to Spencer, you heard Noah talk about it. You heard some others on the team talking about that and, and um, just realizing and, and a little bit too, in relation to flow, Flo and Noah both talking about Flo's injury history, right? And and just how, like, you know, football's not guaranteed. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. You know, play every play, play for today. All of those things kind of weave themselves together in, into the same kind of tapestry of, of you know, like you said, really creating a focus and a purpose. Yeah, yeah. And there was a few other key themes, I think, that I, I took. Um, specifically something that Lanning said that he said similar things to this in the past, but he's talking about just having overall humility, understanding that you, you don't know how to do everything in the first time and you're going to make some mistakes. And I, I think that, I mean, he even mentioned recruiting and I think that there might've been some mistakes made on the trail early in this cycle. Um, not irre irreparable mistakes, but some things I'm sure that they'd like to have back. And it's just really refreshing to see a coach organizationally talking about the fact that he want like that they understand that not everything is always going to be right and perfect and that there's going to be humility at the very highest uh, peak of the program to, to over overwatch and to look for course correction if necessary. Um, and, and that's something I think that was reflected throughout the players as well. Um, just kind of talking and reflecting on things that happened last year, uh, maybe problems with themselves from a physical and conditioning standpoint last season, uh, several guys talked about that and guys like Dorless talking about the weight that they've lost guys like Sewell talking about his, his motor kind of falling off at times last year and his, his ability and coverage not being the best because of some conditioning issues. And, um, I just, it seems that there's a lot of introspective accountability on the team right now. And I think it starts at the very top of the program. And I, I think that we have a coach and a uh, group of assistants and analysts and, and off-field guys that are willing to self-scout and, and make changes on the go. And that, that makes me excited for the future of the program. Yeah, I I, I thought I, the conditioning thing struck out to me, too. I think a couple people mentioned it. Noah, Noah kind of was mentioning quite a bit about how much they ran under Coach Love this summer, a lot of running. But he looked leaner, right? He looked leaner. Doralus looked leaner. A lot of the guys look leaner in a, you know, but not in a weaker way, right? They just look more, I don't know, leaner is the best, the only way I can come up. Yeah, they're more fit. They, yeah, they, fit. They're, yeah. They're going to be, they're going to be able to carry whatever power they have snap to snap better because they're not carrying around a bunch of bad weight. Um, and I think that at times under the last regime, there was this, this kind of guiding principle that bigger was always better. And we were just throwing weight on guys to see the number go up. And I, I, at times it seemed like we were weighing guys down almost um, and not getting them to their optimum efficient weight as opposed to just the highest number. Um, and so 
really interested to see how, the, how some of these guys looked because you can lose weight and get better play power just from the fact that you're carrying the weight better, your conditioning is better snap to snap, and so you're not falling off a cliff after two two snaps in the run game. So um, it, it's going to be it's going to be fun. The the other thing I noticed, which was a theme specifically among defensive players, was like Brandon Dorless was basically giggling like a little schoolgirl talking about the new defense. Yeah, and and you could see it too with Flo and Sewell, and I mean I think Bennett's probably the best interview on the on the entire team based on what I heard today. Um, but one thing that Bennett said, and, and again, this is one of those things that kind of goes with, uh, goes, falls along the lines of how do we evaluate this until we see them up against adversity. But Bennett flat out said that there was very few leaders on the team last year. And I think that that kind of was clear when we played Utah and we got punched in the mouth and there was some other games where we just really struggled to, put our foot down on somebody's neck and end the game. Uh, Bennett talking about the fact that there were so many guys stepping up this offseason and even guys that came in as trans- transfers and, and everyone taking on different leadership roles, whether it's a lead by example or a more vocal role, but hearing about guys like Chapman and Coda and guys like Bennett and Triquez and Noah and Justin and Bassa and, and Dorless and just so many guys that have been in the program for a long time now and been around and been in college football that know what winning and losing looks like. I, I think that this team is going to have a really strong nucleus of leadership. Um, and I think that that's what Lanning and, and the new staff have been trying to foster. Yeah, I, I think I saw some of that too. And going back to Dorless, I mean, man, that guy has a world-class smile. I, I just couldn't, like you said, he was gigging all the time, but he just has such an amazing smile lights up the room. I, I I couldn't get enough of like you know watching and listening to him answer questions. He just seemed so full of joy. Um, you know, and then Bennett, a couple of things that he said, you know, caught on with me. Um, one, he said, guys, guys on the team are realizing how talented we are. Energy and momentum are building. I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, and then you know, kind of from a leadership standpoint, and he was asked a question about you know how do you kind of help some of the younger guys and. He was saying, like, tell them to go to bed, you know. Uh, we don't have school for a month. Get your rest, get your recovery, get your sleep, eat right, hydrate. You know, it's camp's a grind, but it's your job. You got to look at it as, like, your job. This is the, you know, this is the time where we... Uh, and then another theme, I think, both him him, him said, Noah said, I think a couple others, other... I think even Dan might have said it, is, like, we're playing ourselves every week, every day, right? You're competing against yourself. You're, Oregon's playing Oregon. Uh, that kind of mentality. So that's cliche. Um, but, but I do think that there's something behind that too, that, that they're, you know, be the best you, you can be every day kind of mindset. Right. Yeah. And I, again, I think that it takes a mature team to really buy into that. And this was a football team that's been really young each of the last two years. Wasn't supposed to be as young last year, but just due to the fact that there were so many injuries and so many young guys forced into roles that they probably weren't ready for in an optimum situation, now there's just so much experience on this team. Like the offensive line has has seven guys who have started games that you've got receivers falling out your ears who have played quality snaps. You've got three running backs who have all been starters at different points in their careers at different places. You've got tons of tight end talent. Like it's just a really deep and talented team. And none of these guys that are going to be counted on this year outside of maybe one or two guys at, at defensive back are are being forced into roles that they're not ready for, that they haven't already shown the ability to fulfill. So 
I, I just I just get the sense that this team is building some swagger and they have some confidence about them. And I think the fact that like what like you had referenced with Bennett, he's talking about like, well, if if Coach Lanning and Coach LaPoy, who have coached four number one defenses in the last five cycles, are are telling us that we can do this, they know what it looks like and it's given the kids confidence. And I think that they're like, that the giddiness you see with Dorless and the excitement that Flo and Sewell and, and Bennett are uh kind of espousing about the new scheme and the way things that, that are trending on, on the defensive side of the ball, I think that we will see that manifest itself on the field. I don't see how it doesn't. Yeah, I agree. The other thing, you know, that came across clear to me in the in the fifteen minutes of interview time with, with Noah that I watched was there is a hunger there to get on the field and write what they feel was a wrong at the end of last season. The way their season ended, you know, losing three out of four twice to Utah, uh, you could tell he he was holding back in in what he felt and what he said, you know, what he said about how the team and how he he feels about the way last season ended, and they're not they're not satisfied with their performance, and they know they have. They feel like they have a lot more to prove, uh, you know, from that and that you see that motivation, I think. And it really came across in Noah's interview quite well. Yeah, because he's not a particularly talkative guy. Um, but when you at when when he was asked about the Utah games and the Oklahoma game to end the year, there was definitely a little bit of a different vibe. And it, the funniest part of the whole thing to me was the, the very end, the last question of Justin Flo's interview, um, kind of asking him about his energy and he just was talking about it. he's like he's like yeah he's like we we played georgia week one like they they carry themselves on the field a certain way he's like we got to match and exceed that energy and you could see in his eyes like it was just like the switch flipped in that moment and he was looking at the <laughs> he was looking at the reporter and the reporter just kind of backed up <laughs> which was, was so funny because the the rest of the interview he was pretty subdued right like yeah i've i've seen like you know justin flow practice you know in practice and some of those clips of him just being that kind of intensity and kind of like a like a maniac almost. And in that interview, for the most part, he was he was pretty subdued. He was pretty casual, you know, kind of low. And I wouldn't say low energy, but low intensity. And then, like you said, that flip just switched. You're like, oh, that's the guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I, I saw him in a spring practice the uh, in 2021. Thankfully, yeah. before they canceled the season, and it was just like, good lord almighty, this guy is. Uh, or no, this was it was a sorry, it was a fall practice before last season, uh, when he was still healthy, and like that guy plays with a, an energy. Like at first you look, you watch him play, and it's like, oh, this seems a little bit manufactured. Like, oh, this is just shit for show. And then you watch him play for sustained snaps, and it's like, wait, hold on, this is a practice, and he, this guy is playing like it's the Super Bowl every snap. Like he just he there is a certain he just loves ball. Like he just loves to play ball. And yeah. I, it, it makes it fun to watch. And you could tell that like his teammates know it's authentic too. when you hear them talking about it. And it like, like uh, I believe it was Doro said, he's like the spirit animal of the defense. Like it, and, and this also ties into something that Lanning said today, he said, we want to keep guys safe and we want to practice smart, but football needs to be played a certain way. And he, it was almost like a respect for the game type of thing. Like you play foot. If you're going to play football at the university of Oregon, you're going to play it a certain way. And you can't you can't simulate that without having contact. Yeah. And 
I want to see us become that physical team because Mario talked about it in, in press conference after press conference, but there were a lot of times where we were just soft and we, we got ran over. And so, yeah, I'm right. I'm right. We, we were physical at times, but, but not at other. Yeah. There was a, there's a real up and down to that. Which there was I think, a lack of consistency. There was yeah. no identity of physicality. It was, we could turn it on and turn it off. Uh, you know, I think we'll, we'll talk in a little bit about, you know, kind of expectations for camp and whatnot. But one other thing I wanted to touch on, you mentioned the transfers earlier and, two things that stuck out to me about the transfers that we brought in um you know over the course of from last season to this that I think are really telling and 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 landing mentioned you know that that they wanted to bring in guys who could you know improve the team right and of course every coach is going to say that but but two things strike me as I was going through the transfer list you know, a couple months back I, I remarked on this is I think almost all of the transfers that that came into Oregon, you know, maybe one or two, well, certainly one exception, maybe a second one, are from Power Five programs, right? They're they're players who are coming from other Power Five programs, playing at the same level, right? We did. It's not a bunch of guys moving up from G Five or FCS. It's Power Five to Power Five transfers almost across the board, and and in most cases from upper tier upper half power five programs right we got guys from nebraska we got guys from auburn we got guys from uh, you know texas a&m I, so you know we're not talking about you know the lower the you know the lower part of the power five we're, we're talking about the middle and upper tiers of the power five and i think the second thing that stuck out to me too is they're experienced right that we're not we're not talking about guys who went somewhere sat a you know sat a year and then transferred we're talking about guys who are you know fourth year guys fifth year guys who've either been in a program a long time, played a lot of football that, and that experience and leadership, I think, like you said earlier, really adds something to this team that, that maybe the team needed. Yeah. Well, I just think like you, you, I'm looking through our list of transfers right now. And I mean, obviously Bo being a three-year starter in the sec, um, Taimani's started since you and played a ton of snaps at Washington since he was a freshman. Gonzalez started as a true freshman at Colorado um, Jordan Riley and and Casey Rogers have both been getting real quality reps in the Big Ten West on, on the defensive line for two or three years each. Uh, Marquise Irving started as a true freshman at running back after Muhammad Ibrahim's injury last year at Minnesota. Caleb Chapman has has had like a, he had a 200 yard game against Florida two years ago in in College Station in an important SEC game. Chase Cotto obviously has been a multi-year starter at UCLA. Every single one of these guys, um, without getting into the kickers because I don't know anything about them, is is a guy that has played major snaps in major games and major situations. And a lot of these guys, like in the case of Coda and um, Gonzalez and Nix and Taimani, were leaders at their old places. And so they're gonna they're coming into a culture that has been really accepting to them from everything that's been said. Um, and it seems that they are going to be able to bring a voice of maturity, having been there and done that um, on top of all the other guys on the roster. I mean, I think James uh, Crepia, a good friend of ours asked a great question today to Dan. He was, he just asked, he's like, well, now that you got five new bodies back on the defensive line, all of which are upperclassmen guys who have played snaps. I mean, you like in the spring, we we're talking. You have to move JPJ over to the defensive line just to level out the roster, and now you get back basically five squ- qual- starter quality players. Like you get Popo and Dorless and 
Keonwer Hudson, and then you get Rodgers and, and Riley out of the portal now, added in with Taimani and, and the guys that got reps in the spring, and it's like you have real like mature depth now at a lot of key spots. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I think that will be I think that'll be key. I, I I'm really and I think we're kind of transitioning now into maybe fall camp storylines, but um I really think this defense is poised to make uh, a pretty incredible jump in in consistency and you know performance, if you will, you know year over year from last year for a variety of reasons that we've touched on. Yeah, no, I could not agree with you more. Um, in fact, I'm pull, while, while you talk about that, I'm going to pull up the our F plus rating from last year. So that yeah, can... I mean, I just think like I think the defense underperformed last year, underperformed the talent, you know, pretty significantly. Um, you know, in particular areas, third down conversion rate, obviously being, you know, 118th in the country, you know, being the most glaring one, but, but also just the consistency, you know, snap to snap, drive to drive, game to game was just not there. You know, at, at times we looked like this defense is really strong against the run. And then, you know, we just get run over, like you said, kind of go soft and just get run over for, for a game at a time or two, you know, a quarter at a time. And, uh, I, I there's just too much talent yeah. on the defensive roster to be that to be, mediocre, to be the 57th best defense in America last year in, in opponent adjusted efficiency. Like that's, that's completely unacceptable. And I, and yeah. I, I would be surprised if it's a top 15 unit this year. Like, yeah. I really, it really would not surprise me the least bit. No, I, I, I wouldn't be either. I think it, I mean, if it doesn't take, if it doesn't take 57 and at least cut it in half, I think that's a disappointment, right? I think we got to get into the top, uh, top 30 at a minimum. And I think, I think 30 would be disappointing. I mean, there's just, there's just too much talent on this defensive roster to be that mediocre. Well, think about this 2019, we were fifth. Yeah. And, and exactly. like going into 2019, I had like a little bit of a hint that we were going to be better on defense. I, I really trusted Avalos, um, and I thought we had some good players coming back that if they made those inc- incremental improvements for, during an offseason could turn us from a, ba- like a pretty bad defense in 2018 into like a pretty strong one, maybe top 25 or top 20. I, I feel the same way about this, but I'm more confident. I think we have better players right now than we did going into 2019. Now, obviously, debatable. I mean, I think the talent on this team on on defense is significantly better than was on the 2019 team. Obviously, you don't have KT, but um, you know, just across the board and depth wise, both. I think there's this significantly better talent. Yeah, the the only the only question is is corner because we had obviously sure. Graham and Lenore with with Wright as a true freshman backing them up. Um, but it can we. Is it reasonable to expect similar production out of a three, uh, a trio of Gonzalez, Manning, and Florence? I don't know that that's crazy to expect. No, I mean, I mean, Florence would be a, a you know a comp to second, you know, first year Florence would be a comp to Mikhail from a you know experience standpoint. Um, and then you've got what you know Gonzalez and Manning, you know Gonzalez in year two, Manning in year two, compared to you know two second year guys and. Eleanor and Graham. I mean, it's not it's not out of the world. I mean, obviously, you, you're talking about guys that have done it versus guys that we think will do it, other than Gonzo. Um, so there's there's some projection there, but it's not a it's not an absurd projection. Well, and there's some guys. There, there's some guys I think that we're putting on the field right now that, and, and Bennett referenced this himself. Like, I I don't think anybody 
in the West Coast media is giving near the respect to Bennett Williams or to Christian Gonzalez that they deserve. I, I, you'd be very, very hard pressed for to convince me that there's a better corner than Gonzalez outside of Phillips in the in the Pac-12. Like Clark Phillips is the clear number one. I don't know who would number who number two would be if it's not Gonzo. Yeah, what is Gonzo getting like honorable mention? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. absurd, like completely <laughs> yeah. absurd. It, he his film last year against Drake London sh- alone should be enough to make him first team. Um, but it is what pre-season. it is. I hate preseason, you know, conference all conference teams anyway. It's just garbage. Like yeah, let's it's, play it's some games and then, yeah, yeah. We can... mean, but for context, so 2018 we were the 46th um, schedule adjusted efficiency defense, and then we jumped to fifth in 2019. To go to, from 57th to top 15 would not be out of the range of possibility. No, and I think if that happens, you know, you're you're looking at you know what could be a really special year. I mean, look at it this way: we were the 16th best offense in America last year without being able to throw the ball more than 10 yards downfield. So if and and I would, it's it's the same it's the same exact offensive line with a better quarterback and better skill talent. So if if we don't improve on that number, I think it would be pretty disappointing. Yeah, I've said this before. I, I mean, I think the the if I I could see a scenario where the efficiency number of the offense, you know, doesn't change appreciably or maybe even goes down a little bit, but the offense is more successful just through, you know, much better explosiveness perhaps, but yeah. Yeah, yeah well, it was interesting again like um hearing Bo kind of retroactively talk through his career at Auburn today. I I don't know. There's just a there's a there's an air of maturity there. Obviously, a pretty pronounced southern draw. Um, but I think I I think he is very calm going into the season. I in, in some of the ways that I think myself and other people kind of thought that Justin Herbert maybe played tight because some of the pressure of being a legacy local kid. I think it's going to be somewhat freeing for Bo Nix to be out here on the West Coast by himself. Not have to deal with any of that stuff. Like yeah. he's he's no longer the second generation Auburn quarterback that's supposed to save the program. He's just the Oregon quarterback surrounded by gobs and gobs of talent who needs to operate an offense. Yeah, I I do think that there there's a rare real possibility there's something to that. I mean, like you said, he's going to be playing behind a, a a really veteran, high quality. Probably, I mean, I'd say it's almost certainly the best offensive line in the conference. Um. And he's going to be going up against defenses that are are not nearly as threatening as the ones he's he's faced. <laughs> yeah, you made a comment today about about playing Georgia. He's like, um, he's like, you can't let. He's like, if you if you can be explosive on offense and get get ahead with the defensive scheme we run, it's really really hard on opposing quarterbacks. And he goes into how he can attest to that from playing against Georgia each of the last three years <laughs> and just getting teed off on, just getting every blitz in the book thrown at him for three quarters because they're down by 21. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I, I whatever happens in the Georgia game, I, and you know, I know this is probably asking a lot, but um, you know, it's probably one of those situations where hopefully people don't get too high or too low or draw too many conclusions off of one game, you know, the first game of the year, but you know, we'll get to that when we get to, but I think that's important to have perspective around that one game. Yeah, certainly it sets the tone to start the season, but 
it's not a make or break game for the whole season. And, and, you know, if they, if the, if the ducks were to lose, it doesn't, doesn't mean their season's a disaster. I mean, there's 11 more games to play and there's a lot to play for. Yeah. And I'm not ready to concede it either. I, no, I just, no, me neither. I, they're, they're really talented. They're by far the best team on our, on our schedule. There's really no one close. I'll feel, this is how I'll feel about that game. It's kind of similar to Auburn in 2019. Um, I knew we had a good offensive line returning. I knew that Sewell was going to take another step, but I wanted to see a show it against a team with a front like what Auburn had in 2019, when they had Derek Brown and all yeah. of these guys, right? And and for us to go out there and literally pants them for the first three quarters of that game, and to really execute at a high level, um, from a competitive standpoint, from a toughness standpoint, from a physicality standpoint. That's what I want to see from us in the Georgia game. If we lose, but we look good, I'm gonna I'm gonna walk out of that game feeling really really comfortable with where we sit going forward. But if we look soft and we quit and we show some of the culture cracks that we showed last year, that's gonna be a problem. Yeah, no, I I I, I would agree with. That. I'd say that I think you said that really well. You know the you know, we. Well, it, it's very similar to the Ohio State situation last year, right? And I know we've drawn that parallel a, a time or two, but you know, the, half the guys on this team or more were in that Ohio Stadium last year playing that game, and so it's a similar approach, right? You're going on the road, you're playing a top five opponent, um, you're you know the the world's against you. And one of the players today, you know, mentioned I think it might have been Bennett, you know, mentioned that they're treating it like a road game, right? Like this is a road game for us. And that mindset, I think, is the right mindset to have, right? No, it was Bo. Bo said, you know, treat Georgia game like a road game, you know, so come into it with that mentality. And I think that's a healthy mentality, you know, to approach this game. And, you know, I think there's some teams get galvanized when they go on the road, right, against a good opponent. They just kind of have this it's us against the world mentality. And I think that's a way to approach that game. And the guys have that experience from last year in Ohio to say, Hey, look, we can do this. We did it last year. We can do it again. And I think that could help. Yeah. I mean, and a lot of teams say this, and it's like more about the like Rudy, if you believe you can do anything type deal. To me, it's like we we've got we've got the players to play. And so I need to see him perform at that level and see him rise to that occasion. But there's no reason that our the talent that's on this roster shouldn't be competitive. That we shouldn't be able to line up and play football with them. They're they're not deities, and so this isn't like uh, an Oregon State fan talking about going into the horseshoe and winning, like, and then getting blown out by fifty. This is a this is a talented football team, and they they should be well coached. And um, I think that we've got the right some a lot of the right pieces in order to be competitive in that game. It's just a matter of like show it to me. Like I need to see how that game looks and sounds. So as we get into, I think the Ducks open practice on Friday, and you know, obviously we're going to have you know a good solid four weeks of of camp material coming out and a lot to talk about over the next few weeks of podcasts. Uh, you know, what are some of the things you're you're kind of looking for in fall camp? What are some of the storylines you're interested in following following along and and things you want to see kind of reported out? Yeah, the the corner two spot, whether it's Manning and Florence or whoever competes, uh, I'd love to hear a, a fourth name get added into that cornerback mix as a guy that's like showing out and 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 proving to be a a guy that's that's worthy of quality snaps in real time. Um, I think that to me is that if I if I heard that Florence and Manning were really having a great battle for the number two spot and Dickerson or Tucker 
were like both really turning a corner and starting to become guys that we might be able to depend on in conference play, that would give me a lot more confidence about this team um, in our season projection. Yeah, no, I think that's a good one. You know, one of the things for me is not so much a camp storyline, maybe, but something we start to watch in the first half of the season, first first quarter of the season, is along the offensive line, you know, we're going to be moving back to a more traditional, here's our five. And I'm just wondering if because of that, we don't see maybe a higher level of consistency across that unit than than we saw last year, right? I think at, when they were good, they were really good. But, you know, when they were bad, they were really bad. And, and just playing the same five at the same positions, not moving guys around constantly, is that going to help them kind of up their consistency level, you know, to that to that next tier that they need to get to? Yeah, and I agree. And I think looking at the offensive line and the returners, I'm not sure that there was a lot left to to extract from the interior guys, but I think that there was very clear like avenues to improvement for both Sala and Bass at tackle. Like they both flashed, and and I think Bass was overall pretty consistent last year, but I don't think either one of them were really close to maxing out their their ceiling at the college level. And so how much better do those two get this offseason? Because if Sala can become a bona fide, legit, draftable player, and, and Bass can just continue to take the steps he's been taking every offseason, that helps our offensive line pretty substantially. Yeah, agreed. Um, what else? What else do you want to look at in camp? I think, I think the the kicking competition will be interesting. I don't know enough about any of them to comment, but I just there's a there's a confidence that I get listening to Coach Landing talk about Coach Lorig, and I know that you've had the opportunity to interact with Coach Lorig. I think on two separate occasions. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just think that there's going to be a, a seriousness and a preparation that's applied to special teams this year that hasn't been applied there in a few years. Yeah, I have a very kind of calm, quiet confidence about our special teams units this year. And, you know, obviously kicking, kicking is kicking and that, you know, that they're somewhat individualized there based on the the player and who's on the roster. But, you know, just across the board on special teams, you know, and having seen the way they operate in practice, the special teams preparation and, and everything that coaches are all saying and doing uh, about special teams, I think our coverage units are going to be significantly better they have to be uh i mean they were terrible so i think they'll both be significantly better and i think you know the return teams should be better in two ways one by you know hopefully having someone who's more dynamic you know with the ball in his hands returning kicks a bunch but also if you have starters playing you know on those units you know ideally you're creating more opportunities for those returners um so i think there's a lot of a lot of optimism I have at least about the, the two return units and the two, you know, two kicking units uh, or, you know, two you know, punt and punt and kick, um, you know, place kicking. We'll see. Uh, you know, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, having, having a uh, healthier and deeper roster should help with both of our coverage teams. Um, and then I just think that we have more dynamic guys available to be returners now than we have in the past. I think last year it was mostly about fielding the punt not yeah. doing anything with it. And I think that if you put a guy like seven back there, 
You can trust that he's going to field the punt properly, and he's going to give you something after, give you something extra. And even if it's a difference of eight yards per return, that can flip the field um, with a better defense. So it's all of these little things cumulatively coming together, and how does it affect the outcome of games uh, in 2022? Yeah, very much so. Um, obviously the quarterback situation, everyone in, it's always the thing the media wants to glam onto in these, in these type of events like today, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you're with me and it's, it's Bo Nix and it's not really a question, but I guess yeah. we'll have to wait for an official announcement until, you know, game day or something. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I have no reason to think it's not Bo Nix, but we'll, we'll see. Maybe. I want to give these guys the opportunity to go earn it right. So maybe Ty took some major strides in the off season or Jay came in and maybe they can really push Bo and it'll make the room better. But I would be pretty surprised if it's not Bo Nix on September 3rd. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would like to see, and you know, maybe this doesn't happen in camp. Maybe it happens later, but I, I would like to see, you know, maybe a clear number two emerge and, and, and that person like, whether it's through camp or even in early season games, you know, really getting to get on the field and make plays and like show growth, you know, like if it's Ty, we saw him a lot, you know, not a lot, but we saw some of him last year and, you know, certainly some, some highs and certainly a lot of, a lot of inconsistencies. And, you know, if he wins the, the backup job and gets into the game and, and can demonstrate some year over year improvement, I think that would be a, a nice thing to see. Yeah, and and maybe it's biased because for, we just had a friend of the show, Kenny Dillingham, on the on the uh, pod last week. But I I just think that they're going to be getting a higher level of development in the quarterback room than they had in the past. Every time I went back and watched guys that Coach Dillingham had, had coached, whether it was Jordan Travis at Florida State, and you look at the difference between year one and year two, or you look at Brady White at Memphis, it they like the the year on year progression is very obvious to see. You can see it on the stat sheet. You can see it on film, and you could just tell that they, these guys were acquiring a more comprehensive understanding of the game of football from that position, working under his tutelage. And so that's really what I want to see from Ty. Whether it's not whether it's as a starter or backup, um, same thing with Jay. Is that it? Hopefully we 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 put our foot on the neck of some teams and put them away early. And we give these guys some real good quality opportunities to get some good experience this year. I want I want to see them continue to to mature and grow into the role, and and I have a lot of confidence in Coach Dillingham's ability to get them there. Yeah, well said. Any other any other thoughts about camp or you know kind of what we want to see over the next month, or are you ready to move on to the next topic? No, I'm just I'm overall just excited about this team. I, I I'm always excited this time of year, but. I think that this team has the opportunity to do some pretty special things that I, I don't know that I felt we could do last year after seeing Anthony Brown in practice. So um, hopefully, hopefully Bo and the offense can come through. And I just, I look forward to hearing how this, this whole thing develops during the course of the, of the preseason uh, as we work our way towards Georgia in week one. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, this team feels a lot like it could be all like the 2019 team. Uh, you know, to me, you know, in that ten, ten and two range, maybe threaten for a playoff spot. Um, yeah, I just, I think, I think that the ceiling of this defense is so high, and I, it almost overshadows the fact that this is probably the most talented offense that we've had since like 2015. Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, like, it's a pretty low bar, unfortunately, for Oregon's standpoint over the last five years on offense. But yeah, but there's some serious players on this offense, and in a in a really good offensive line. I, I I don't know if Bo is is executing at a high level and making good decisions and being accurate on, on our shots, and and we're we're capitalizing on the opportunities there. Like the, this could be a really like good all around team. Like this. Yeah. This could be yeah. a, a top 20 offense and a top 15 defense. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the sky's the limit. I think I think there's a lot of people around the conference um, who are really probably under underestimating the offense of this team and, and the defense, too, to be frank, but particularly the offense of this team, I think partly because, oh, they have a, they have a thought about, you know, Bo's Bo, Bo's what, he, Bo's what he is at Auburn. But also, you know, the skill talent on this team, you know, let's be frank, there's a ton of talent, but there's not there's not a lot of experience there. So I think it's, you know, typically with your conference media folks, right, nobody really knows anybody until a year after they do something. But I think this is that year where all of a sudden, a, you know, a guy like Seven, a guy like Dante, a guy like Troy, Ferg, Monteveo, uh, you know, Byron, you know, Noah, Bucky, like there's so many guys who could have just breakout years this year and 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 if Bo you know takes that step forward that we were talking about earlier that that there's every reason to believe he can like all of a sudden this offense it hell it could be the number one two three offense in the conference pretty easily yeah I mean especially with the offensive line I don't know I've gone into each of the last four years just not excited about our running back room no disrespect to Travis Dye and CJ Verdell and Cyrus and BB Lakio, but there was just nothing about that group that got me excited. And this running back group is very different than that. It, I'm very excited for the first time in a long time to see these running backs go behind a really veteran and strong offensive line. And based on the talent and what I've seen of these guys from the sample that we have available, this is the best receiver room we've ever had. So I, I just, and, and, and guys like Mataveo and Ferguson are likely some of the best tight ends that we've had since guys like Farrell Brown left the program. So it, it just seems like a lot of things are coming together for this offense to be a really explosive special group. And, and it just, I just can't wait to see these guys in action. I, I think that this team is getting criminally underrated nationally. Um, and But it's kind of crazy just like the talk and how focused it is on, on Utah and USC out west. I know we were voted second in the polls. I mean, we even got a couple first place votes, including from our good friend James Crepia. And I think it's because uh, uh, covering the team and seeing the team, he he has a better insight than a lot of these writers out here who really don't know anything about us. Um, yeah, it, I don't know. I I I hate to be a homer. I just this team is the most complete team in the Pac-12, and I don't think it's really all that close. Yeah, I tend to find that the the Pac-12 media polls every year tend to be about one year behind reality, right? So they're always a year late to the party on a team that's on the rise and a year late to the party on a team that's on on the descent and so oh, 100%. Um I think we're seeing that play out, you know. I think you know, it was interesting we did get a couple first place votes and finished second in the poll overall. But USC got more for I think you know we had two and they got five first place votes. But but you know it seems like maybe there's more polarization on on USC. They've got you know more than double the the first place votes, but still finished behind us overall. So, but yeah, the it, it's Utah just ran away with it, which 
it, it's really interesting to me. I, I would have thought there would have been more because I view I view it as a top three, and and I think there's not a ton of separation between Utah, USC, and Oregon, in whatever order you want to put them in. I think that the separation is not great. Um, but the poll came out with a, a pretty drastic separation between Utah and then USC and Oregon, which is a bit surprising to me. Well, if things if like if things come together for all three teams, Oregon's the team that stands to separate from the other two the most. Like, yeah. If if everything bounces the right way, guys stay healthy, everybody on every team takes the incremental steps and gets a little bit better that they that they need to do to in order for that team to take the next step, I I think that Oregon has the highest ceiling of those three teams. I think it's the most complete roster. I would agree with that. Um, you want to move on to some recruiting talk? Yeah, I think we can wrap this podcast up with some recruiting talk here. All right. So, uh, you know, a little bit of a quiet July for Oregon. They picked up, obviously, five-star quarterback Dante Moore. Um, back uh, right around the 4th of July, a little bit after, and and that was obviously a huge get, and we talked about that on a, on a previous pod. Um, but then, you know, we we're kind of maybe expecting to see a run of commits, didn't really materialize, and, you know, for whatever reason, but now here this week, we the, the Ducks did pick up two new commits on the defensive line, so Tosh and Tony Tuiati putting in work there. So, you know, first of all, uh, let's talk a little bit about Terrence Green, um, six foot five D lineman out of Texas. Uh, four-star on the composite, and uh, pick, picked Oregon over Michigan State, Auburn, Baylor, and, and some others. Um, tell me what you think about Terrence. Yeah, I mean, the, the Terrence Green one's big. You beat out Texas in-state school. You beat out Michigan State with Mel Tucker. Miami, obviously, was was a pretty big factor in that recruitment as well. Took an official out there. Um, USC Terrence, also. Yeah. yeah, USC as well. Terrence Green is... Um, He's the closest thing to a Buckner or Armstead that we've recruited since then. And, and I don't mean that to say that he's going to be a future first-round pick and one of the highest-paid defensive linemen in the league and a multi-time All-Pro like Buckner is and, and, and is continuing to be. Um, but from a profile standpoint, as a guy who's legitimately like 6'5-plus um, on the tape and he's 270 pounds probably right now, He's just got an enormous frame in the same way that Buckner did at the same stage where like you see the muscle bellies, you see the the big broad shoulders and the wide joints and you see how he's built and he's not, he's not built like a linear lean guy. Um, but he just hasn't really started to fill out yet. He's probably not even eating close to enough and, or lifting close to enough. And it just, he just strikes me as a guy who you get into a college program and he fills that frame out and he's just, he turns into the prototype for what what this defense calls for, as that like four I five technique defensive end in their base defense, and so I'm really really excited about the prospects of having a guy with this kind of length, who's a really good athlete. Um, he gets asked to play in this weird two point stance in high school, which is completely ridiculous, but you still see that the ability to bend and keep guys off his feet, the the burst to close, the the length and the power. It's like when, when this guy actually grows into his body and gains that kind of mastery over his own um, body control and, and he becomes stronger and gets some good coaching and coming out of a three-point stance with good leverage and just utilizing all of these God-given talents, these natural tools and traits that he has, he just has such ridiculous upside. I mean, 
I've been all aboard the Terrence Green train since we offered back in like March or February. Um, and this this to me is a much larger commitment than the ranking would, would otherwise indicate. I, I think that Terrence Green is an extremely important player. Uh, we need we need to continue to stack these types of body types if we're going to be a nationally competitive program. Yeah, no, I, I uh, that's great stuff. I, I I'm really excited about you know I'm not a player you know player evaluator as I always say, but I am really excited about Green's you know just physical profile and the tools that he brings to the table. I, I think, like you said, it's it's the body type, it's the it's the physical attributes that. You know, especially in this defense now, we need to continue. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have a a six five and a half kid who's going to be probably 295, 300 pounds, who is going to be able to express athleticism even athleticism even better at that heavier weight because he's going to have better core strength and overall like physical prowess. He's going to have control over his body because he's going to actually be strong. Um, And when you think about a guy who's that big and that naturally explosive get, gaining that mastery over his own body and being able to express that athleticism in more powerful ways. Like to me, that's, that's a, that's as exciting as it gets for, for defensive line. So I'm, I'm really, really, really excited about Terrence green. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, Mikhail Gardner. So he, I believe just committed today, um, to Oregon, um, out of Liberty high school in Peoria, Peoria, Arizona, another defensive lineman, a little shorter stature, six, two and a half, um, two seventy five. What, what, what say you about Mr. Gardner? Yeah. So like the only question I have about Gardner is how long are his arms? And uh, apparently Biggins was reading my mind because he goes on Oregon two, four, seven and talks about how he has like very uniquely long arms for his physical profile because that's the that's the problem right like if you're going to be playing out as a four eye and you're going to be asked to play two gap defense on base downs you're going to need to be able to keep big long tackles at bay which means that you're going to have to be able to joust with them and have that length that we've talked about on several podcasts and so the with that being my only question and that getting abruptly answered by the fact that shoot i mean a bunch of tight front defenses like Wisconsin, like Oregon, like Texas, like Michigan were recruiting him kind of, it makes it very clear that that obviously wasn't a problem for any of these massive programs. Um, this is a big win to steal him from Michigan. Michigan made a really, really hard push um, and actually had recouped the lead and um, kind of been looking like to be the favorite for a while. Um, and coach Tuioti and coach Tasha Poy really did a good job of recruiting him down the stretch. Uh, but yeah, just a. This is a guy that reminds me more of Brandon Dorless, just in profile. Uh, probably six three, two eighty, uh, long arms, but he's got really, really good initial quickness and get off. This is a guy that I project to have a lot more um, impact as an interior pass rusher. He's going to be able to move around, play a bunch of different shades and techniques, and he's going to be a mismatch because of quickness. Um, and if he, if he really does have like thirty three, thirty four inch arms to go with that quickness and in, in the frame because he isn't as long as green, but he's got a big bubble, big lower half. Um, he's got, he's got big muscle bellies as well. Big, he's just got a big frame. So you're talking about a kid that's going to be playing at a, a lean 290 pounds. And um, if, if he can, if he can continue to improve from a technical standpoint um, and, and help kind of 
accentuate the the physical traits that he has that make him such a unique interior pass rusher. This guy, he's got a really really high ceiling. Like I, I, I understand that both these guys are. I think Green's a like low to mid four star, and Gardner's a high three star. These are two guys that the staff has identified really, really early on in the process back in January and February um, and have been recruiting hard against other big programs since. And so I think the skill set is a little little undervalued by some of the rating systems with Gardner. Uh, if he can be 90% of what I think Brandon Dorless is going to give us this year, Gardner's a slam dunk. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really, really excited about this pairing of defensive linemen. Throw these guys in with Tavita Pomee. Um, and, and then you have room for one or two more in, in a situation where it seems like Oregon is really high on, on Amari Washington's list. And I think that Amari Washington would, would be the best guy in this group. So kind of tells you how I feel about Amari Washington. I think he's the best defensive lineman on the West coast. I don't think it's particularly close. And I think he's one of the better guys nationally. So if you can grab Amari Washington and you've got one spot left to play with, just shoot for the stars and try to make a make a run at either Mateo Uigalele or David Hicks. Yeah, I think something you said earlier about, you know, the you know, when we're talking about about Green, about the best, you know, linemen we'd recruited, you know, interior and defensive linemen we recruited, you know, over the last, you know, five, six, seven years. You know, you look at this class and the way the defensive line class is starting to come together with the guys you mentioned in Washington if he were to jump into the fold and then, you know, maybe one of the one or two of those other guys like I mean that 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 hall would certainly be the best defensive line class we've we would have signed in I don't know ever <laughs> you know as a whole right or or certainly in as long as as I've been following things this closely um, and it really I think underscores you know one of the areas where I think the last staff did not did not recruit as well along that interior D line right I think I think they did a great job of coaching. Uh, you know, coaching up players we have, but certainly, um, you know, I think there was there was there was opportunities missed in recruiting along the line. Yeah, yeah. I mean, winning a battle for a guy like Amari Washington is top three is us, LSU, and Oklahoma, uh, with Ohio State trying to fight back into that group. Like, like that's a big that that would be a huge, huge win. That would be the biggest defensive line recruiting win probably since Armstead. I'm trying to think of who else has been that highly regarded that's come to Oregon. We've done a good job with some evaluations on guys like Popo and Dorless and Keon Ware Hudson, um, but this is this would be a certain upgrade in profile, and I think it kind of answers. We got one listener question, and it was a do we do I think that we're going to recruit better or worse on the D line with the staff? I think um, while Edge has not gone to plan to this point, and hopefully they they can get that rectified, the interior defensive line recruiting under this staff already is. I think pretty considerably improved over what we have become accustomed to recently. And I, again, I liked a lot of the guys that the last staff had taken. I think a lot of those guys on our roster, guys like Keanu Williams, um, Mikhail Afaisi are going to be guys that play substantial roles for us either this year or next. Um, but I, I think that the profile is being upgraded with, with, with guys like Amari Washington and Michael Gardner and, uh, Terrence Green and Tavita Pomea, like th- this is a, this is a, this is a group that sets us up in the trenches to be really, really good for the foreseeable future. Yeah, would you say it's kind of the difference between you know, you know, being a program that recruits that position, you know, from a developmental standpoint, which I think is where we've been the last, 
half decade or so, right? We're, we're recruiting guys hoping that, you know, year three, year four, they can really play at a high level versus, you know, if you want to be competing with the Georgias and Alabamas and Ohio States of the world, you, you got to land some of the higher end, you know, I don't want to say anyone's a, a, a surefire talent, but, you know, guys that are that are much more likely to, to be hits and hit sooner on the field. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that, like, I think that Green and Gardner require development, but I think that their traits are better than the guys that than the guys that we've been trying to develop. I think that they come in with better tools to start and with bit with bigger upside, especially a guy like Green, just because of how huge he is, yeah, um, and how long he is and how athletic he is. And then you bring in a guy like Amari Washington, who like doesn't really need as much development, like. Amari Washington could come onto the field for us tomorrow or on Friday when we start fall camp and work his way into our four I five tech defensive end rotation. Like he's ready to go now and he's a, he's gonna be a senior in high school. So like getting sprinkling guys like Amari Washington in with guys that have just massive physical talent that they haven't even begun to scratch the surface of, like Green and Gardner, is just like that is euphoria for someone like me who loves line play. So I think, you know, kind of putting a bow on recruiting, you know, it'll be interesting to watch over the the rest rest of this week, next week, you know, the rest of the month of August. I think there could be some some more action on Oregon's standpoint, you know, into August. And then we'll uh, obviously, you know, there's, there's guys that are waiting to take visits in the fall and, and we get into games and all that stuff will happen too. But keep an eye on Scoop Duck and other places for you know, for, for kind of the recruiting inside info. But I think we'll have some more commits here in the in the near future. Yeah, yeah, and we'll we'll be covering those as we continue to move forward. And uh, one thing that you can count on with us is we're not going to sugarcoat it. If it's clear that we're compromising on on the profiles of players to 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 just get guys in the class, I'll I'll call it out gladly. But so far, so good. I think that the staff has done a really good job of identifying guys that fit the the requisites at the positions. So um, I'm I'm really excited about recruiting in the direction it's heading. Uh, despite maybe some of the losses that we've experienced here in the last month. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, I know we were about at time, but we wanted to give you an opportunity. You know, Pac-12 Media Days were last week. Any one or two minute thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it was a giant shit show. Um, like, especially hearing from some of the reporters, the the fact that they didn't even have Wi-Fi in the venue for reporters to be able to sit and write up while they listen to the other coaches talk. it's just ridiculous like for all of the for all the praise that Klyakov has gotten I'm really it seems like he's getting praised just because he's not Larry Scott like what what has he done like and I'm not I'm not blaming him for the USC UCLA stuff that train was down the tracks but like where where is the improvement in to the officiating where is the tiebreakers for for the new for the new conference championship set up that we're going to be playing in a month. Like, yeah. Like, I, yeah. Like, I, what are, what, what is actually being done? Cause like everyone is talking about how much they like George and how George is such a great guy and how things are so much better. Well, we still have a crappy media day that's poorly ran. That's crammed into six hours in a venue with no Wi-Fi, And we still have crappy officiating and no changes to our officiating. And yeah, I don't know. It just, I don't, I'm not seeing the, the labor's, or the fruits of all of this work that George is supposedly doing. Yeah, I was optimistic on George, and and look, that's it's you know it's not over the it's not over yet. But you know this 
this, the, the media day is kind of a microcosm of everything, right? This, this was a layup, right? You come in, you got this media day, you, you, you've put it together, you fix things like Wi-Fi, you fix things like we have coaches talking in the front of the room while we got players talking in the back of the room. I, I mean, it, it isn't that hard. I mean, yeah, you're talking audio about, pollution. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah, you're running about a, 200 people total, like setting up a, con, you know, a, a conference space in any hotel in any city in America with, you know, multiple breakout rooms is like, like routine. Uh, this, this should not have been hard. And no, it shouldn't fumble the ball. Yeah, and I mean, it's such a visible thing that you could get some easy quick wins out of from the media. Right. And, and, and then that. That reporting, like the media would all be going like, oh man, media day was the best one we've had in years. You know, great job, George. Like it's just, a, it's a layup and it's an easy PR victory. And it, it was just a massive failure. I mean, all, it's like you want, you want media to be able to report on your, it's, it's literally called media days. The whole point is for media to be able to report on the event for your conference to give you exposure to the people that read those media members. And you set it up in the only way possible to where they can't actually reach those people and live report on the event that you're putting on. Yeah, it's it's mind-boggling. Uh, like, I would get on, fired if I was that incompetent. Like I wouldn't have a job. Any thoughts on George's comments? Uh, you know, he took some shots at the Big Twelve. Obviously, the you know the media deal, realignments, the elephant in the room. No, not really. I agree with Andy Staples. He just seems like a guy who's ready to lash out. I get it. It's frustrating. He stepped into a job, and he's really not getting the opportunity to do the job at a high level because it was already falling apart before he even was offered the job. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, f- I, feel, I still feel bad for him, but I, I just think that there's things that he could have done proactively to still improve what's going on without, I don't, without all of this. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think he's got he's got basically one one shot now. Right. And it's the media deal. If he can bring home, uh, you know, a, a better than expected media deal for the conference, then that may be his chance to to get a win that he so that he and the Pac-12 conference or Pac-10 or whatever it's going to be so desperately need. Um, and it may be too little too late anyway, but I think that's. That, that that's his only shot right now. Yeah, no, I don't I don't disagree with you. Um he'll be fine. I I'm not losing any sleep over George Kuyakov's future employment situation. No. Yeah, um, he's going to land on his feet wherever whatever. Yeah, he's happens. far more rich and qualified than I'll ever be, so he'll be just okay. Um all right. Well, I think that that pretty much wraps up this episode. Um, I think we, you know, looking ahead, obviously we're going to have a lot of content to talk about over the next month with training camps being open, not just at Oregon, but around the Pac-12 and around the country. And we can start covering some of those storylines, you know, uh, around the conference and around the country as we get through the next next month. But also I think we got some some pretty interesting and exciting and diverse, uh, you know, topic uh, guests coming up too. So, I, I, you know, stay tuned for that. I think we have some some cool stuff to talk about. So you'll want to listen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you guys for being patient with us. And uh, we're, we're going to get back here as the season gets ramped up and started um, on a weekly schedule and try to find uh, a way to get two two actually two podcasts in a week. Um, one, one following game day, uh, probably on that will be released sometime on Sunday going over the game. Um, and then a later podcast in the week, kind of recapping a little bit more and, um, 
preparing for the following. So we're going to probably hone in a little bit more on Oregon as the season gets going here, but um, still want to cover some large national stories as well. All right. QB, thanks. It's been a pleasure. I'm, I'm glad we're back at it. I look forward to next week already. Yep, me too. See you, Doug.